Hey Siri, remind me to pick up milk on the way home. Hey Siri, remind me about ballet practice at 5 p.m. Hey Siri, remind me to ask mom if I can borrow her car for Friday. Hey Siri, remind me to call the body shop. Hey Siri, remind me to take out the trash tonight. Siri, hey 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 Siri, 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 you know, week to week is a chapter to chapter, or uh, like with the book of Ephesians, it's actually pretty much a half a chapter each week. And, uh, and then what we do is we continue on that conversations into our sermon-based small groups, and which has been incredible. Uh, if you're in a small group, you know uh, how valuable it is to talk or hear something taught about on a Sunday morning, and then to uh, see how it's explained and talked out uh, in a group setting. And we're actually gonna talk a little bit about the importance of that today. Um, but this week is a little bit different. It's Labor Day week, and so we actually don't have small groups this week. And so, uh, so today, what you get here is what you get, all right? So with me, so we can like have a conversation right here. It's, but it's gonna be more of a monologue. So don't actually talk back and forth because it could kind of get a little bit confusing in here. But, um, but you know, it is okay if you agree with something, like to be like, that's good, or yeah, you know, like that's good too. If we say jokes, like you can laugh at jokes too, all right? So there's a little bit of conversation going on, all right? But, um, but yeah, so, so uh, we, we've been in the, the book of Ephesians since the beginning of August. We're starting September, um, and we will continue to be in the book of Ephesians till the end of November. Um, looking forward to next month is actually gonna be a um, really a family series. It's really what next month is. It's, it's uh, the end of chapter five in Ephesians and the beginning of chapter six, pretty much, is about the family. And so next month is gonna be uh, really geared to that. We have a marriage retreat coming up next month as well. And so, so month, the month of October is sort of like family month here at Northwood Church. And, uh, and then the, the month of November is really, if, if you've read through Ephesians, you know that the last half of chapter six is really about spiritual warfare. And so we're gonna be getting into that and it's gonna be good. But for today, we're gonna be in chapter three, verses one through 13. And, um, and just to kind of give you some context around the book of Ephesians, it's the Apostle Paul has written this book. Uh, the Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison. All right, I don't know about you, but if I was sitting in a prison, I probably would not be writing a letter to someone because um, I'd have bigger fish to fry, right? But he sits down and he's like, I'm gonna redeem the time and I'm gonna write some books. So he does that. And Ephesians is one of those books. And uh, it's, it's really one of the most power packed books in the Bible. Uh, it, it's very heavy in content about the gospel, all right? Which is the good news of Jesus. And it's what we talk about every week. It's what we sing about. Uh, it's why we exist as a church is what Jesus has done. And so we don't get sick of it, all right? We don't get bored with it. Because if we don't have the gospel, if we didn't have the good news, uh, we should just all go home right now, eat some brunch, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of a big deal. And Paul, uh, in the first three chapters especially, focuses in heavily trying to get the believers in Ephesus to understand the gospel. And uh, really four through six is more how the gospel plays out, how we live it out. And so, so that's sort of the big context of it. So in this, uh, in this, this week, uh, every week actually that we come together, we answer a question. All right. Last week we talked about uh, we talked about the, the church. We begin the conversation on the church, and we we answer the question, "Who are we?" Y'all remember that? Does anybody remember what we talked about last week? 
that's not a good question that you, you should say as a, as a teacher because um, people are like, actually, I, I, I don't remember. Um, it's good. It's good. We're really doing something. No. Uh, hey, I need to be reminded of what I, I teach myself, actually. The next day, I'm like, ah, what was it? Uh, who we are. Remember, we talked about who we are as a church, but we talked about we need to understand who we were, and then we need to talk about what Christ did to really know who we are. All right, there's, there's a, a sequence to that. So we, we went through that last week. But this week, remember I told you, we're gonna talk about the church. And so today's question is, why does the church exist? Why does the church exist? Why are we here? What are we doing? And really what I mean by that is, what's the purpose of the church? Now, today I'm gonna say some things that are gonna be really, really uh, controversial for a lot of people. Um, and, and it's gonna start right here because I wanna define to you what the church is, all right? <clears throat> a lot of people think that the church is the building, which is, is case number one. And, uh, and that's why over the last really, you know, it seems like the last 15 years or so, it's more and more and more you hear the phrase, uh, we don't go to church, we are the church, right? We hear that over and over and over. But I wanna take it a step further because there's still some, some misunderstanding in that. Um, the church are the people who were called out of darkness into light. The people who have placed their faith, their trust, their hope in the work of Jesus Christ. That's the church. It's not who shows up on Sunday. And so the reality is, is that every single week that we come together, we are at church, but it doesn't mean that we all are the church. It doesn't mean that we all are believers. And what happens is that's like step one in religion is I come to church, so therefore I'm, I'm like checking something off of you know, my task list and I'm, I'm like getting in the good graces of God because I come to this building with some other people who really believe in this, but I don't, really don't know. And like for some reason in our society, we think that that counts for something whenever it counts for nothing except actually making us more accountable for what we hear, right? Like today, you guys are gonna walk away from here more accountable to what you have heard, to the truth that you've heard than whenever you came. It's the same reason why we take communion so seriously because as we eat and we drink the body and the blood of Jesus, what it represents, we are eating and drinking accountability to the gospel that we have heard. Does that make sense? And so as we come together, the church, it's not those who show up, it's those who have faith in Jesus. And there's some, there's some terminology that's floating around the church uh, it says things like this. And guys, again, I'm, I'm not a big critic, but I am somebody who says, like, there's another angle to that and there's a lot of error in that. And we gotta make sure that we don't bite hook, line, and sinker into something that actually could lead us to, to a false type of thinking in this whole Christianity thing, okay? And, and it's this. There's a saying that you can belong to the church before you believe in what the church believes in. So you can, you can belong before you believe. Now, I get it. I get it. As far as relationally, this place right here is open to anyone and everyone. No matter what your belief system is, no matter where your doubt or your faith resides, okay? This is, a, this is a great, if you're here today and you're a skeptic and you're a critic and you don't believe in Jesus, but somebody like paid you to come, okay? Maybe you're watching online. You're like, I'm just listening right now to see what I disagree with. Um, welcome, okay? Like that, we invite that. But don't fall into the trap of thinking that because you, maybe belong in a relational sense that you belong in a familial sense. 
It's a big difference. It's a very big difference. And, and, and so what, as we come together, just because we're here doesn't make us all the church. And it also, when Paul speaks, it doesn't mean that everything he's saying, he's speaking directly to you if you are not in the church, if you don't have faith in Jesus. And a lot of people won't say that. A lot of people are fearful to say that because they're scared that they will make people feel uncomfortable. And to that, I say, man, I believe in grace and in truth. And that both of them together is actually really loving. But if I just tell you that you belong to the family of God, but you don't believe in God, then I am lying to you, biblically, all right? And then what that leads to is this. It leads to people who come to church and think they are saved and think that they are a part of the church, but yet they don't believe in what the Bible says. And so that whenever the pastor brings something that the Bible says that they disagree with, they get angry at him and they say, this is not a loving church. The reality is, is I don't know what church you bought into, but it's not the church of the Bible. It's a big issue. We deal with it a lot. We deal with it a lot. Where we, we speak on things that culturally people think one way, but then we bring the biblical perspective of it. And because it doesn't line up, people are like, you're not loving. And I'm like, no, actually, I'm very loving because I risk my reputation every week to speak truth, right? So with that, kind of that, that foundation laid, the church, there is two aspects of the church. There's the individual aspect that I am the church, right? That I am a part of the church. And then there's the corporate aspect that when we come together, we are the church together, right? And both are very, very important. Um, nowadays, there's this individualistic look at what it means to be a Christian, a, a part of the church. People say, I could, I could be a Christian and not be a part of the local church, like, like this type of gathering. And, um, and some churches look different than this, and that's not what I'm, I'm not speaking about style or expression. I'm talking about being in community with other believers. Some people believe that they can be a part of the overall church and not be a part of, um, or be a part of the individual church, but not be a part of the overall church. And uh, I'm, I'm not gonna say that that's completely wrong, but I am gonna say that um, I haven't seen, and I, and I said this last week, I haven't seen very many people do that successfully long-term. I haven't seen very many people's theology remain proper in isolation. It drifts. One time I began to let my mind drift and I was like, what if this and what if that? What if like whenever we die, there's like multiple gods and there's universes and then like I get my own universe and like blah, 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 blah. And I was like, somebody was like, dude, that's like Mormonism. <laughs> really? I sat there and like, false religion just came into my mind. It's pretty incredible, you know? And uh, why? Because left to ourselves, we can really conjure up some incredible things. And uh, that's why the Bible warns us of, you know, angels that come out of nowhere and say things that are contrary to the word of God, right? There, there's warning and there's, there's instruction. And that's why we need each other because sometimes, I, less than myself, I can get weird. You know what I'm talking about? It's just me though, not, it's not you guys. I'm, I'm the only one. But so when I say exist, I mean exist in a thriving way, by the way. I, I don't mean uh, barely making it, like an endangered species, right? Like the church is some sort of, an, you know, bald eagle, like on the top of some dead tree somewhere, and like barely making it. You know, I think they're doing well now, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not, not survive exists, but I mean thrive. The church is alive. The church is thriving, by the way. I know that we have stats and we have things that say, oh, it's really looking bleak. 
It's looking bleak for some expressions of Christianity and certain ways of maybe teaching and style. But as far as the, the body of Christ, God builds his church and there's no kingdom, there's no political system, there's no intelligence of man that will demean that. All right, so, so, so don't, don't lose heart, don't lose faith. The church is alive and well. And actually the church grows where there is uh, more suffering than whenever there's more conf- comfort, convenience. It's really amazing. The church is exploding in the Middle East and in China and other areas where, you know, literally if you serve Jesus, people come into your house and arrest you and put you in prison and beat you. That's where the church is growing the most in a very you know, a a deep-rooted way. So when I say exist, I I don't mean just survive. I mean thrive. So um, a healthy and thriving church is made up of healthy and thriving individuals. All right, a church, this church is not alive because of a certain, you know, because of the sound system, right? Like, or, or some sort of logistical or structural thing. This church is alive and the health of this church is determined by you, the church, So how healthy you are as individuals is how healthy this church operates as a family, right? Does that make sense? It's kind of like saying as a family, if mom and dad are okay, then everything else would be fine. Well, well, no, it starts with the marriage, but guess what? The relationship between the parents and the kids also needs to be healthy and, and, and vice versa. It actually takes more than just one person to make it work. It's the same thing with the church. A church is not determined by the health of the pastor, all right? I don't control you all, right? I don't, I don't I maybe shepherd and guide, but as far as like controlling what you do Monday through Saturday, I haven't, are you kidding me? But we are all individually responsible. So, so with that, we're gonna answer the question today, why, is, why does the church exist? But before we answer that question, I want to use what Paul says in verses one through 13, sort of to display marks of a healthy church And this is marks of a healthy Christian, marks of us as individually the church and corporately the church. So verses one and 13 are sort of like bookends of Paul's letter in this portion. And uh, he runs down, I mean, y'all know how Paul writes uh, every now and then he'll say a statement and then it's like comma. And then he goes on a rabbit trail for like, you know, 12 verses. And you're like, wait, and then all of a sudden, semicolon, and he, he then goes back to his thought. And you're, you know, you gotta read the Bible like that. Like, actually, what I do sometimes is I'll cut out all of those portions in the commas to try to get the complete sentence, you know? Because he added three other thoughts in there. And I'm like, well, I gotta get the, the overall sentence here so I can understand what he was trying to say in the middle. Well, this is sort of what this is. It's a bookend, one and 13. So we're gonna start with verses one and verse 13. We're gonna learn from the example of Paul of what it looks like to be a healthy church, healthy people. And, uh, and then we'll go through two through 12. Y'all ready? All right, cool. Verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, which Gentiles are just non-Jews. So I ask you, verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory, which is your benefit. So Paul is basically saying, hey guys, I'm in prison right now. I'm suffering. If y'all know the story of Paul, he got beat. He got, he got he, he shipwrecked, all right? Paul had a, a tough life. Actually, I think Paul's life, whenever he was a, a Pharisee and was, was you know, killing Christians, was actually more comfortable than whenever he became a Christian, okay? <laughs> and, and so here he is, he's suffering, and he tells the Gentile church here in Ephesus, he says, hey guys, look, don't, 
Don't feel bad because I'm suffering. Which I think is a great mark of the first mark of a healthy church is as a, a healthy church sacrificially follows Christ. Paul is a wonderful example of this. Now, I think it's interesting what Paul says here. He says, hey guys, he says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Here he is sitting again in a Roman prison, but he does not identify as a Roman prisoner. He identifies as a prisoner of Christ. He elevates his Christianity, who he is in Christ above his current situation. If I was sitting in prison, I don't know that I would first tell people, hey, before I'm a a prisoner of the state of Mississippi, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. My perspective would be tested at that point, right? Come on, put yourself in his position. But what he is being an example of is, is this sacrificial mindset that says whatever I see and whatever I'm experiencing in the physical world does not dictate who I am in Jesus, who I am in Christ. He, he, he had this mindset that he was completely sacrificed and submitted to the call of Christ on his life. And that's what he did. So he does that in one way, I'm I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And then also he says again that I am suffering for the benefit of the church. Paul actually suffered physically, physically in his body longer and more than Jesus did. If you look at the story, he was beaten three times with whips. He he went through years and years of, of, we talked last week, I remember about the temple. And I mean, they thought he brought Trophimus up into the, the temple. And so they, they drug him out and they beat him. They imprisoned him over and over and over. He had these things happen. And at the end of the day, he tells the, the Gentiles, guys, look, don't feel bad for me. I'm doing it for your good. Paul had one life to live and he spent it for the, the glory of God. And I wanna tell you this, church, we shouldn't be surprised whenever we suffer, whenever we have to sacrifice as Christians. This is the other part of the sermon that really does not fit well in our Americanized version of the gospel. It doesn't doesn't fit, this right here. Because we have this mindset that once we begin to serve God, that then our lives become easier and more comfortable and more convenient. And so whenever that doesn't happen and we suffer or we have to sacrifice, we always end up with the question, why God? Jessica was just ministering that during during the song. Singing a song like the goodness of God, if you are, or if you are, if that is predicated upon your current physical condition, then you've got things out of whack. Paul definitely did not preach it that way. And so as a church, we've got to re, re, reorganize our thinking around what the gospel actually is. And sometimes we are going to endure suffering and we're going to have to sacrifice and endure a sacrificial lifestyle in a very painful way. What does that mean? What are some ways that we might have to sacrifice or live a sacrificial life? Well, look, whenever you say yes to following Jesus, sometimes people hate you for it. Like the people that you were hanging with, that they just loved being around you, all of a sudden you got religion, and now all of a sudden they hate your guts. My parents, that's really how it was for them. Everybody was cool whenever they'd stay out all night and party and and, act a fool. But as soon as they they found Jesus and their life began to change and they began to tell their family, guess what? They didn't like it. My favorite story is is one of the family members actually said, I'm gonna go get my shotgun in the closet. And if you're still here when I come back out, I'm gonna blow your head off. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Man, I just, I tell you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, real story. 
what is that? The enemy hates light. The enemy hates the gospel. And whenever someone finds Jesus, when Jesus plucks them out of darkness and sets them into light, right? Some people are not excited about it. So you might lose influence in people's lives. You might not be able to get that promotion that you were going for because the way that you were cutting the corners to get that promotion, all of a sudden, it messes with you now. The Holy Spirit convicts you of that, and so therefore you don't do it. And then all of a sudden, your boss, who you've been working with to kind of finagle this deal, is like, what's the deal? And you're like, man, I just, I can't, I can't do that. And you might get ridiculed, right? You might be the person that's standing in, in, you know, at school and you got a bunch of buddies around you and they start ridiculing Christianity and you're standing there like smiling. <laughs> do I let them know that I'm a Christian or do I just like, yeah, <laughs> laugh along, right? Like fit in. Or am I gonna be, gonna be bold and stand up and say, actually guys, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And just smile, let it be awkward. Just let it be awkward. It'll be good. You'll make them awkward because you're smiling. They're like, he's okay with it. So like, makes me feel weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's some things that you might have to sacrifice. And then there's some things that, that you might suffer. What if one day we are threatened with the possibility of imprisonment for our faith? Right? I mean, I hope you guys read online the stories of people all over the world who are being imprisoned and being mutilated raped because they named the name of Jesus. It's so far removed from our society that we're like, it, it, feels like a, it feels like a movie, right? Like it's not a real thing. It is a real thing. But, but like, what if that's, what if that happens to us? What if that becomes our culture? Where, where would we stand? How would we react? You know, actually, if you look through church history and you look at the, how the disciples died most of them died in very, very painful ways. They were, they were crucified many different ways. They were you know, plunged through with swords. They were, one guy was skinned alive, all right, for the cause of Christ. And here we are in 2019, and do you know that we actually look back at their deaths, their martyrs, as martyrs, and we actually draw strength from that? Did you know that, that their suffering is actually one of the, 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 the best ways that we know that Jesus was resurrected? Here's the deal. When Jesus died, the disciples left. They were like, it's over. The king is dead. It's it. And so they go back to their fishermen jobs and all their other things, right? But then Jesus was raised again and they saw him and it changed their heart to such a degree that years later they were able and willing to lay down their life because they knew that Jesus was risen. So here we are, 2019, we draw strength from their sacrifice. And you know, I wanted to put this up for you to read. Sometimes we're praying not to suffer or sacrifice but God's plan is to use that suffering for his glory long-term. This is an incredible perspective that a lot of times we miss. We're praying, God, would you, would you heal me? God, would you change that circumstance? God, would you, would you change my, my spouse, right? God, would you do this? Would you do that? Would you help me in my finances? And, and sometimes it ends in death. It ends in something that we don't want, what we're not praying for. And at that point, a lot of people are like, well, I guess God's not real. Whenever really, if we look back in history, the people that we champion, 
they had this mindset. The, even if, even if it doesn't work out, even if this suffering ends in worst case scenario, God, it's still gonna be used for your glory. Now that is easier to say and to think on the mountaintops than it is the valleys, right? But the reality doesn't change. I heard this phrase recently that God is sovereign and God is sovereign over sorrow. So if you're in this place and you're experiencing sorrow, God is good and he is sovereign even in the midst of that. And sometimes God is even more pronounced. His presence is, you're more aware of it in those valleys than on the mountaintops. So I wanna encourage you in that, that at times all of us, we're gonna suffer. We're gonna have to sacrifice, but let's draw strength from it. And you never know, by the way, your story, what it's gonna do in somebody's life that you're close to. You're suffering. You go through it, 10 years later, you're talking to somebody who's walking through it and you're able to say, I know exactly what you're feeling and what you're going through. And you begin to lay out all the thoughts and the fears and the situation. And they're like, that's exactly where I'm at. And then you can anchor them to Christ just like you were anchored to Christ in that time. It's wonderful. So we sacrificially follow Christ. And this is where kind of Paul goes on a little bit of a tangent. Verse two, he says, I'm assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery that Paul is speaking about, again, is the gospel. It's the good news. And this, this mystery of the gospel was actually hidden for generations. Think about the, the prophets. They had been speaking about these things that were to come, right? This person, this Messiah that was supposed to come. And everybody was hopeful and looking forward to it, but it was still mysterious. And so when Jesus comes and he fulfills all of these things, a lot of people didn't see it. That's why Paul is, is writing this, because people, they didn't know how to put the puzzle pieces together. They didn't see how the prophets, what they were speaking towards. That's why in the New Testament, a lot of the writings, you'll see Jesus and Paul and other writers refer to Old Testament uh, verses, Isaiah and Jeremiah and things like that. They, they, they're pulling out of our Old Testament and, and showing and revealing things. So if you're reading in the Bible and you see something sort of like italicized or indented differently, click on the little buttons there or, or, or look at the cross references and go back and read the context of those, uh, those prophets, what was happening in that time, because that's what they're doing. They're, they're reaching back, pulling it into the present, saying this is what that meant. And Paul does this over and over, but it was a mystery. Here's the deal, guys. This mystery, as believers, we have to understand the gospel. We have to understand this mystery. And it's actually one of the marks of a healthy church is that a healthy church understands the gospel. And we have been talking a lot about the gospel, especially, look, going through Romans and Ephesians, it's sort of the main big deal here, okay? And it's being drilled into us. And Paul, that, that's what he has to preach. But do we understand it? Like, do we understand it? Do you really, truly understand the gospel? And we'll get into how we can, we can speak it, but like, is there, like whenever we sing these songs, like we were just singing, yet not I, but Christ 
in me, through me. Did, whenever you're singing those words, is it connecting with something deep inside of you that like it, it's just pulling worship out? It's, it's pulling something deep inside of you out. And it's not just like you're singing something on the top 40. Like, is it connecting with a truth down inside of you and it, it, it's literally encouraging and bringing forth hope and faith and peace and joy, the fruit of the spirit. Or is it like, man, this is kind of a weird song, right? What's going on? Let me tell you something. If, if, if it's not connecting, you might not understand it. Or you might have like a small understanding that really needs to grow, right? It's Paul, he talks about the milk and the meat growing. There needs to be this growth and growing in the knowledge and the understanding and the revelation of who God is and what he's done through Jesus. And a healthy church made up of healthy people understand the gospel. We understand the gospel. What is the good news? Well, I wanted to list out to you some, some things that I think are, are really, really define it well. And it's this, the good news is that a world broken by sin is being restored through the blood of Jesus being restored through the blood of Jesus. The next thing is that his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection paved the way for us to be reconciled to God. Right? It's what we believe. We also believe that forgiveness and acceptance from, from and by God is now available to all people who repent and accept what Jesus has done for them. That is the big difference right there for a lot of people. That forgiveness and acceptance from and by God is now available and people stop right there. That's where universalism comes in. Everything's good, but it's available to all people who repent and accept what Jesus has done for them. Repent, turn. Your life, you used to live this way. Now because you've seen Jesus and he's, he's accepted you into his family, you repent and you turn and now you're on this road of sanctification, being made more like Christ, being more uh, holy, being made more into the image of God because of what he's done for you, right? The last thing is, the good news is that we have access to the power of God to live a life of holiness for our good and God's glory. Did you know that living a life of holiness, for some people they call it the rules, the rules and regulations. Did you know that that's for our good? Did you know that living a sexually pure life is better for you than not living a sexually pure life? Physically, emotionally, it's not a rule that's being placed upon you for just to have a rule, it's, it's for your good. And whether somebody believes in Jesus or not, it's still for your good. But in Christ, as we, as we sacrifice, we live a sacrificial life to him, it's for God's glory. And that's the big idea. That's the good news. But like, it, are these, you might not be able to say all these things in order. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about is it in you to where like you can talk about it. You could sit down with somebody and they're telling, they're telling you their issues and you're seeing it through the lens of the, the gospel. How has Jesus restored this? How is, how is this broken because of sin? And what did Christ do to restore it? And how can we live, live that out in our life? This is something that you can talk out. The gospel, that's the good news. Part of truly understanding something is having experienced it. This is something that's very nuanced because some people, I believe, understand the sequence 
of the gospel. They understand the sequence. Look, if you grew up in church, you were in Sunday school, you know every Bible story, right? Like you got, I mean, you can, like, you, you know, you know, uh, in the beginning, God created the, and like you could picture it, you got the flannel graph things in your mind, right? Come on, you know, Noah, you know, and, and, and the ark and Jonah and the whale and he's sitting, he's sitting in the flannel graph, you know, he's sitting inside the belly of the whale and he looks, he's got like seaweed hanging on his head. Like you've got these pictures in your head. It makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, I know, I know the Bible. Okay, you know, the stories of the Bible. What were those stories pointing to? Like what was the point of all of it? What was God doing? The, the creation, the story of creation, the story of Adam and Eve is, is not just a story about two people that ate an apple. It's not what it's, it's about this deeper meaning and what it's pointing to. And then how it affects our lives. You see, I can understand something, but until I experience it, I don't know that I truly understand it, right? We, we think that if we intellectually get it, that we understand it because we elevate intellect above everything. It's why on-the-job training falls underneath and is, is subject to if you have a degree. I'm all for advanced education, okay? But the problem is, is that there's some people who have degrees who don't know how to do the job because <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. They took a test. They can remember information, but they can't apply it, right? Now, if you have a degree, like, that's awesome. I'm not demeaning that. I'm just saying that some people do the same thing with Christianity. Like, I got it figured out, but it doesn't affect anything that they do. They don't know how it plays out. And that's always, it, it kind of boggles my mind, but at the same time, it doesn't because it's like, if you know so much about the Bible, then how is it not changing you? I'm not talking about being perfected, right? I'm not talking about being a perfect human being. We all have faults, and this is where everybody amens. None of us are perfect. Amen. Amen. I agree with that. You know, we know that, it, but sometimes we lean too heavily on that. We do. It's actually a justification. It's like a way that we justify ourselves. But when we look at the Bible, and we look at what Jesus has done for us, and we truly get an understanding of it, a revelation of it, it begins to change something inside of us. We begin to view people differently. I view this world and people differently now than I did five years ago. Why? Because the gospel is changing my perspective. That's what's happening. Does that mean I always get it right? Of course not. Of course not. But I tell you this, I am much quicker to repent nowadays than I was back then. I, <laughs> we're gonna talk about humility in a second. That's one of the things that the gospel does. In your life. Are you more humble today than you were just a few months ago, a couple years ago? The gospel changes us and experiencing the gospel, experiencing the power of it. He goes on in verse seven. He says, of this gospel, okay, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Anybody's mind's kind of going like, yeah. what did he just say? Basically, he's saying that a healthy church, speaking about himself, speaking about us as individuals, speaking about us as a, a corporate body, 
A healthy church is humbled and empowered by the grace of God to proclaim the gospel. What does it mean to be humbled by the grace of God? Well, let's kind of let's look at it from this angle. Whenever you realize that you've been saved by, let's just say that, that let's just say that you, you know, you, you're, you're out with your family and, and you're, you know, you're hanging out and, and just, it's, a, it's a, just a normal night. So it's just a good night. Everybody's hanging out. And then there's something that happens where you know, there, there's a moment that a, tra- a tragedy could have taken place and somebody steps in and saves you or your kid and they pull them out of that, that tragic situation and they, they save them, but in the process, they die. When that happens, you will be so excited and so, so overwhelmed with emotion that you were saved or your family was protected, but at the same time, you would look at that person or you look at whoever gave up their life so that you could be removed from that environment and that situation that tragic situation, you would look at them with such gratitude, but you would also be like, why would they do that? It would humble you. You would be so grateful, right? That is one aspect of the grace of God, how it humbles you is this, is that we didn't deserve to be saved, but yet Jesus came so we could be saved. His mercy, it humbles you. His grace, where his favor is poured out for you, not just saved you from death, like not just made a way for you, but actually, actually lifted you up, right? Like we, we talked about this. Mercy is just, I didn't kill you. Favor is, I, I, I mean, grace is actually, I, I placed favor on your life. And whenever we realize that, that we've been saved, more importantly than physically, spiritually, we've been pulled out of eternal separation from God. That grace, that mercy, it humbles us. Whatever you realize that you've been forgiven, right? And you didn't deserve that forgiveness. How can you not help but forgive other people? Like, I've realized over the last few years that I have an inability to retain bitterness towards people. It wasn't always the case, right? wasn't always the case. And at times it still is a struggle. But a few years ago, uh, you know, if if anything happened, if somebody said something to me, it it was like one of those things and maybe y'all are like this, like something clicked and I was like, I'm done with them. They don't exist anymore. They're dead to me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm I'm not talking about in the uh, the sense that you've been abused over and over and you actually have to do that. Okay, somebody's taking advantage of you. I'm not talking about that. That's a, another situation. I'm talking about just somebody, you know what I'm saying? Just, just people being people. And it was like, ah, psh, psh. and um, actually what happened was um, I, I hurt a couple of guys that were in my life that I was very close to. I hurt them and they didn't let me know for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden they let me know. And uh, when I realized that I had uh, inadvertently, unintentionally, um, I had hurt someone, it, 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 it affected me in a certain way that it changed, it changed that part about me, that experience, right? And, and then I began to learn how to forgive people and how not to harbor bitterness. 
until recently, you know, there's things that have happened and, and or there's things that happen every week, but you know, somebody said something and really began to, to rip, like just rip. And they never do it to your face, by the way. They never do that. They never call and say, hey man, I just got some things I need to talk through. It's like Facebook. <laughs> and there was that initial like, what? But it, it doesn't last like it used to. Why? We're all broken. We're messed up. God forgave me. I forgive him. What's, what's the point of holding on to it? What's the end result? I lose. Bitterness. I think that I'm holding it over their head. Guess what? I'm just holding it over my own head. And whenever you realize the grace of God, it humbles you. It humbles you before God, but it also humbles you before people. That's what his grace does. Humility. By the way, humility suffocates pride. Pride, humility, they, they can't coexist in the same space. So if you're prideful, then you're not humble. And if you're humble, you're not prideful, right? But how are you gonna identify the pride in your life? Through pain, <laughs> through people telling you, through conviction, but you won't overcome it by remaining prideful. You can only over, over, overcome it by becoming humble. We've we received this grace for a purpose. And I think some people miss this about the church is that guys, look, we are not saved by grace to sit. We are not saved by grace to come together once a week and be like, isn't this awesome? We are saved by grace to proclaim the gospel. We are empowered by grace to proclaim the gospel, to live it out and to proclaim it. It's two ways, verbally, verbally. Can you explain the good news of Jesus? This is what we were talking about, the gospel earlier. Can you explain it? Can you verbalize it? Can you articulate what you believe? Can you explain it to people? Do you explain it to people? Do you ever, I got a question. Do you ever preach to yourself? Nobody's gonna answer that because you're like, that's weird. Everybody talks to themselves, okay? Everybody does. I don't care who you are. Like you're in the shower and it might be a whisper. And if somebody walked in, you'd be like, this is weird. I'm talking to myself. You know what I'm saying? Like you're in your car and you're like, you're like, hey, people might think I'm on speakerphone. It's okay. Like, like you know what I'm saying? You're, do, you ever, do you ever talk through the gospel like you're talking to somebody who doesn't know him? right? Do you, ever, do you ever articulate what you believe? It's not weird, y'all, by the way. At least I'm going to say it's not weird, so that way I have the microphone, so if I get, feel like if I say it's not weird, then it's not weird, right? I proclaim that speaking to yourself, it's not weird. Um, it is slightly, but we all do it, right? Do you talk through the gospel? Do you play out scenarios with your, your, your person that you're praying for? Like, man, let me tell you about how Jesus has changed my life. And do you talk through your story? Do you preach to yourself? Do you preach to your family? Hey, dads, do you, do you look for opportunities at the dinner table or when your kids are going to bed or, or something happens? Do you look for opportunities to explain Jesus to them through their situations or through their circumstances? Do you preach the gospel to them? Do you, like, do, you do that? Spouses, do you, do you try to to challenge one another in your faith and in your, your actions. And I, I don't mean in, in an argument. <laughs> I do that every 
day. Like out of everything that you talked about, I challenge my spouse every day in a life-giving way. Like, I mean, do you actually talk through your understanding of God? And, and whenever something happens, do you try to talk through it? Do you articulate what you believe? Do you pray through the gospel? Do you thank God for his mercy and his grace? Do you thank God for sending his son to this earth to die for you? and to be raised again and to ascend for you, for us, for our liberty, for our freedom. Do you, do you pray through it? Do you understand the cross? When you think about it, does it fill you with joy and peace? Whenever something around you is happening, are you able to anchor yourself in Jesus? Is he your source? It's one of the reasons I think small groups are so important that we talk it out, that we hear other people articulate what they're going through in their life, how they're working through it in a biblical way, how we're doing the same thing. I said it earlier, as we go through something, we help others and then vice versa. There's such safety in that. There's such support in that. It's how we verbally do it, but also in the way that we live. In the way that we live. So, <laughs> In case you didn't know this, I'm gonna say this and then I'll get into the illustration. Uh, the moon is not a light source in and of itself, all right? It's a reflection of the sun, right? I was talking to somebody a couple years ago and they didn't know that. And I was like, uh-oh, you know? <laughs> Our school systems, uh-oh. <laughs> so the moon is not like a star, okay? It's just a rock, pretty much. And the sun reflects off the moon and that's what we see, right? And in the same way, that's really what we are as believers, is that we live our life in front of people and we reflect the glory of God. We reflect the spirit of God, the, the fruit of the spirit. We reflect that in our schools, in our families, in our jobs, in the way that we, we interact with people and politically speaking, okay, arguments and debates, we reflect a different way to operate than the way that the world operates. So it's not just what we say and how well we can articulate something, it's how also that we live. Y'all know actions speak louder than words, right? It's true, it's true. We're all here today, we're all excited, we're doing good, and then we get out in the parking lot, and that person won't, Go, go. <laughs> you know, like, there's a brake and there's a gas pedal. Press the gas pedal. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, right? I mean, come on. And all of a sudden, all this hope and this joy and this peace dissipates. <laughs> the way that we live matters, y'all. We live out the gospel in front of people so they can see our good works and good. Uh, God glory, and we also explain the reason for the hope that we have in a way that makes the gospel clearer for the hearer. The way that we live and the way that we speak, we're humbled and empowered by the grace of God to proclaim the gospel. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold or really the intricate wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The next thing is that a healthy church has a high view of the church. The church, us, we are the vehicle that God chose 
to carry the gospel. Why did he choose to use men? No idea. But that's how he chose to do it. He has given us this good news. You know the great commission, right? He's given us this great commission, the good news, to go and proclaim it, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to live this out, to not hide it under a bush, right? But let our light shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? Like to let it shine. But you know what's interesting is that nowadays, uh, if, if I kind of go back to living out the gospel, we are actually conditioned to say, I don't wanna pressure people. I don't wanna, I don't wanna pressure people with, with God and talk about that. I'm just gonna live my life in front of them and then one day miraculously, like they'll just understand why I live the way that I live my life. That, is, that sounds really good, but it's also not what we're called to do. We are called to live it out, but also to proclaim it looking for every opportunity to, 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 to put Jesus at the center of the, of the conversation. When somebody's worldview doesn't match up with the Bible, you don't come out attacking them, but you're like, why do you think that way, man? Like what, what causes you to actually think that that's the way that things should happen? Are you looking for a way to actually speak about it? The church is the vehicle that God has chosen to, to display the wisdom of God through the gospel. And we are a picture of God's wisdom. We, we are a picture of God's wisdom, his knowledge, his, his know-how, his good judgment, because it's God's wisdom being displayed through how God chose to found the church, how he chooses to manage the church, and how he chooses to spread the message of the church. It's God's wisdom. Why did God choose to do, choose to do things the way that he's chosen to do them? Because of his wisdom. We have a high view of the church because we have a high view of the wisdom of God and the way that he has chosen to carry out his mission. And we elevate his ways above our own, right? Come on, that's, that's what the Bible says. His ways are far above ours. His wisdom is far above ours. I'm sure, you know, at times we say, man, why did God do this? Why does God do this? Because he's wise, full of wisdom. I like when it says rulers and authorities. These rulers and authorities Paul refers to are probably evil forces, all right? These have already been defeated at the cross and they, I love this, they await their final subjug subjugation. The existence of the church is announcing that. So the way that we live our lives and the, and the church itself is actually sort of trash talking the enemy. The fact that you are sitting in this place today and your faith is in God. The devil has thrown everything that he could at you and yet you still remain anchored in Jesus. There's nothing that he can do to pull you out of his grace. He has no power. Us being here, you walking through the tragedies that you've been through, walking through the doubt that you've been through and yet coming on the other side like Job did, saying like, God, you know, I trust you. Come on, y'all. It's like, we're, it's, it's like we, we, we come out of the rubble of our life and yet we're standing in Christ. It, so I just watched the, uh, the new movie, Godzilla. How many people? Wonderful movie, right? Really high quality visually, acting, not so much. 
The end of the movie, though, I'm going to ruin it in case you haven't. You know what's going to happen anyway. Come on, it's Godzilla. And um, so at the end of the movie, you got Godzilla and this three-headed dragon, and they're just like, you know, fighting, fighting, and Godzilla's like amping up, and he's basically turning into an atomic bomb. And so seriously, it's like they ran out of things. Oh, Godzilla's turning into an atom bomb. Uh, but they did it. And what happens is, is this whole thing explodes, and, and then you got this moment where they're on the plane, they're looking and they're like, oh, is, is Godzilla alive? Like, ah, and it's quiet. And all of a sudden the rubble begins to move, right? And you're like, who's gonna come out the rubble, right? <laughs> Who is it? And all of a sudden it's like this dragon head. And you're like, oh no, Godzilla has lost. You know, and there's this moment and you're like, but no, this is, it's been super cheesy already. He's got to win because that's what cheesy movies, they always, the good guy always wins. And, and the, the, the dragon head comes out and it's looking around and you're like, oh no. And then all of a sudden, like out of the rubble comes Godzilla and he's got the dragon's head in his mouth. Come on, y'all. Yeah, I'm like, Aah! and it's like, you know, like, and then all of a sudden Godzilla like amps up and like, and he's just like, and like the head just like, like disintegrates and everybody's like, yeah, because Godzilla comes out, you know, and, and, and what the people say in the plane, they're like, I'm glad he's on our side. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is totally the gospel, y'all. I mean, come on. Don't you see it? It's right there in front of you, man. I'm sitting there like, this is, yes. Thank you, Jesus. You know? <laughs> We should watch movies through the lens of the gospel. See, everything can... Right. That was this year's At the Movies, by the way. That's what we got this year. There it is, At the Movies. Visually, you got it. Okay. The reality is, is this. Is that in this life, it does feel at times that the dragon is defeating God. It does. There's a lot of people that they struggle with that. The suffering that I spoke about. The things that they see, humanity, they can't reconcile a sovereign God with what they see. The reality is, is this though, that, that God is outside of time and space. He's outside of it. The end has already been decided. It's just where we're at in the movie, y'all. God has all authority. He is sovereign. He reigns over everything. He is wise. He is good. And he's who we trust in. I have a high view of the church, his wisdom, his power. So now with all that being said, I wanna to answer to you, why does the church exist? Why does the church exist? A healthy church, because we've gotta exist in a purposeful, healthy way. The church exists, number one, to glorify God. We lift up the name of Jesus. Number two, we exist to edify the saints. That's why we're here, y'all. We exist to edify one another, to build one another up. And number three, we exist to evangelize the world. This is it. You could wrap up all that we do in these three things. To glorify God with everything that we do, to edify the saints, and to evangelize the world. Ephesians 2, 3, verse 12 says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. I know this, that there's a lot of you in this place who have confidence in God and there's some of you who have no confidence in God. 
some of you in this place, I'm saying all of this and you're like, yes, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm outside of that. You talk about the family. I'm, I'm not in that, but you can be, you can be. I wanna give every person in this room an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're in this place and you're far from God, but today you wanna say yes to follow him. You've heard the gospel. God's dealing with you. Maybe you're in this place and you've actually drifted far away from him. You've drifted far away, but today you wanna come back close to God. He's here for you. His grace is sufficient for you. Let me pray with you. Say something like this. God, I come before you. I'm surrendered. I'm humbled. I'm broken. God, I need you. I need you. And today I surrender my life to you. God, I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. Forgive me. I repent right now. God, I pray that you would help me to live a life for your glory, for your honor. I thank you for all that you've done for me. And today, God, I pray that you'd help me to grow in this faith, to grow in my knowledge of you. I give you all that I am. God, right now, I pray for all of us in this place, Jesus, that you help us. God, that you help us to, in our health as individuals, God, to know you, to trust you. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to remain healthy. That there, there would, this would be a place of, of forgiveness and unity and where your presence resides, a temple. And God, we pray that you would help us to go out this week to evangelize those that are closest to us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.